you know, this is what you asked for. I cannot tell you how many moms I've heard say those words. Like, this is what I prayed for. This is what I wanted my entire life. And now that I have it, I feel like such a bad person because I'm exhausted. And it's like, you are a human. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. Today, we have licensed professional counselor Chastity Holcomb on the podcast. Chastity helps mamas reclaim their identity and love themselves fully through therapy, her Mindfully You Academy, her podcast, and her Instagram account. Chastity is a mama of two, and we cannot wait to dive into all the things with her today. But first, I would love if you introduced yourself for our listeners. Yes. So, I, first of all, I'm so happy to be talking with you guys today. I think it's going to be such a great conversation. And like you said, I am Chastity. I am a mom of two beautiful little girls. Um, My husband and I are raising them here in Texas. And I also have a online therapy practice for moms who live in Texas. Um, And I also have my online membership called Momfully You Academy. And all of those things bring me so much joy. They help me tap into um, different things that just make me come alive. And so I get excited and thrilled to do this work and to talk to people like you and other moms. And uh, yeah, it's just such a, a, a great time to be alive and a great and confusing and complicated time to be alive and doing this work. But I'm just so grateful that I have the opportunity to do it all those feelings, right? Every single one of them. And you can feel your excitement on your episodes of Mindfully You. We were actually listening to one of the episodes and you talked about finding your values and then operating from there. And I love this part of it. So could you go into and just tell our listeners why you think it's important to establish your values and maybe give some prompts and some questions that we could ask ourselves to help along the way? Yeah, I think that Defining your values is kind of the first stop of anything. When we are growing up, like our parents do that for us. They get to define the rules and the direction of our lives. And so when when we become adults and moms of our own um, or wives or in relationships, right, we have to kind of find our own set of rules, our own set of normal. And I think values helps us do that. It helps us to connect to the things that are important to us, the things that ultimately make us feel happy. Like whenever we feel connected to like our most important things that drive our our decisions and the way we behave and our character, how we show up in the world and in relationships, when we're really clear on those things, It helps us set those icky boundaries, right? Because it's like, actually, I don't really like the way that I feel when I'm around this particular person or when I'm working in this job. And it's because blank, right? Like sometimes we draw a blank when we like, I don't really like it, but I don't know why. I think defining your values can help you come up with that why. 
And so I think on that podcast that you're talking about, I mentioned how peace is one of my values. I don't like a lot of chaos. I don't like (laughs) a lot of drama. I like to feel at ease. I like to feel that things are at like a flow. And so if I'm ever in a situation where things feel a bit chaotic and it's like way too risky or it just kind of drives me on the other end of peace, (laughs) I'm like, "Mm, I'm not feeling this. This isn't my jam. And so now after defining what that is, I know why that is, right? And so I can either alter that situation by saying, I'm going to tap out of this or I'm going to adapt in a way that does bring me peace. And so, you know, if I'm thinking about a job or something like that, you know, maybe I like the job, but I don't like the department that I am in that job, or maybe I don't like certain aspects of that job. I'm going to find a way to make that a little bit more at ease for me. um, That'll bring me a little bit more peace, if that makes sense. So I think that when it comes to defining your values that ultimately drive your character and the decisions that you make and the relationships that you're a part of, I think that it's, it's good to ask yourself things like, what truly makes me happy? What are some things that, that I do? What are some situations that I'm involved in? What are some uh, relationships that I'm a, I'm a part of that really truly make me happy? And then from there is, what is it that makes me happy about it? Is it that I'm able to be creative or spontaneous with this? Is it that I have, you know, I'm not stuck into a box and I can be spontaneous? Like, what is it that makes you happy about those things, those people, those environments that you're around? And I think that's such a good starting place because, again, once you have that in place, you have your why. And so your, your clarity about who you are what you want to do, the people you want in your life, it just becomes so, so much clearer. And sometimes I think that it's also an unlearning because maybe our values are not the same as our mom's values and that's okay, but it is hard to kind of separate and kind of grow up and grow into your own person. Um, When I was listening to that episode, it all just made so much sense to me because our values can help us decide what we will and what we won't do. In that episode, you also used a tagline that I personally love, which is you do you. It feels like in the mom sphere, people are trying to impose their values onto other moms. And that's when we can kind of start to get into the mom shaming that our society struggles with. I would love to hear your thoughts on how women can start to really operate from a you do you mentality. Yeah. And (laughs) it starts with us being able to be clear with what we want, because oftentimes if we hear someone that disagrees with what we're doing, we will think like, oh, they disagree with me. That means they don't you know, like what I'm doing, that must mean that they don't like me. So it's like a personal attack Mm -hmm. on, you know, us or our integrity or our character, our decision-making skills. But once you're clear on why you're making decisions, you realize it really doesn't matter what anybody else has to say. It really only matters what, what makes me happy. You know, what makes me feel fulfilled, what, what I feel is right or healthy or just for, for my family. And so, you know, when you take a step back and get clear on yourself, then when someone else is doing something different than you, you can say, oh, 
just like I, I make choices out of what's important to me, that's what they're doing. Even if it's something that I wouldn't do, right? Like even if it's something that I disagree with, I won't let them do them. I can trust them with their decisions just like I would want them to trust me with mine. And so it becomes less personal when people disagree because you're so firm and so planted in the things that matter most to you. So it's like, I'm good. And I hope that you are too. (laughs) Yeah. And I just wanted to share quick when I was a first time mom, a brand new mom, looking back, I can see that I was insecure in my choices and that made me like defensive. And I also had some judgment for other, I'm like, how could she do that? But now that I've grown and I've been at this longer I can just tell like where that was coming from. So growing into you do you means that for me, it meant growing in my own confidence. Yes. Yeah. And it takes time, right? Like it takes some trial and error because like you said earlier, and kind of what I was talking about is that we're grown, we grow up with someone else's rules, someone else's perspective, right? Like it's our parents' job to raise us in the way that they've feel that's best for them. Well, as we're becoming our own person and our own moms and we're developing these other roles that are important to us, we have to grow into that. We have to evolve into that. And sometimes when we're getting started, we will look to our parents or society or other moms until we find what's right for us. And so, yeah, it's it's those kind of growing pains, right? It's like, ouch, that hurt for me to learn that lesson like that. Or, you know, I really didn't like that, how that felt, but that's how you grow into that. And I talk oftentimes about like intuition and kind of this gut feeling that, people tell you like, just trust your gut. It'll be fine. You'll know. But when you're a new mom, you don't know your gut is not developed, right? Like your intuition is not developed because intuition is knowledge and experience combined. And so, yes, you might have knowledge about like how to change a diaper or knowledge about the babies do cry and they need, you know, to be fed or whatever. But the experience, that personal experience of having a human all on your own might not be there. And so it will take some time, some some growing into that intuition, confidence and self-trust in yourself and your ability to do this your own way. Well, and even three babies in, it still changes. Like we still have to be figuring out the new experiences for each of these new babies. So I love how you said that right there. You asked a question that I've been able to really sink into. You said, do your choices reflect what's important to you? And you talked about the gut check and like that feels like such a good gut check, especially in a busy world. So could you talk us through how women could use this prompt to maybe make take a few things off of their plate? Like I know I've struggled with this in the past and I'm sure some of our listeners have as well. Yeah. And I think that, um, I love that, that gut check. I think that that ties directly to overwhelm and burnout especially now with us being in a pandemic almost a year later, right? We get so used to doing things out of habit or doing things because we think we should be doing that or we see other people and it looks like it should be right. So maybe we should do that too, right? So we get stuck into just doing things out of habit or out of witnessing other people do it. And doing that gut check is like, hmm, 
is this really something that I want? Is this really something that is what I want reflected in my life, right? Not because I think it's the right thing to do, or I think it's the easiest thing to do, but it's because it's what I want to be reflected in my life. And when you start to to do that gut check, when you start to ask yourself those questions, you probably will be amazed at what comes up. (laughs) And sometimes it's hard for us to ask those questions because we might be afraid of what comes up. Because if it comes up, then that means we got to make some action plans around it. And that could get us stuck. But, you know, remembering that even if it does, even if your life doesn't look like what you want it to look like, you can always start, right? It doesn't have to be this perfect thing um, where everything has to completely change and, you know, you're this, com- this strange new person, right? It could just right. be one step at a time, one decision at a time to get it to where your life is reflected the important things of your life are reflected for you. Yeah. And when you say that, I'm like, you know, I think it it's the tendency of women to spiral into a shame about what, if, if that gut check doesn't line up, but also it's an opportunity to start heading in, in a direction that would feel more in alignment. One of the many reasons that we needed to have you on the podcast was so that you could talk through the correlation between self-care and mom guilt. You called it a toxic relationship. I think it's such an important conversation because we can preach self-care all day, every day, and we do. But if a mom can't relieve herself of the guilt that comes with taking some time away, she's never going to get a true break. So I would love to hear why these things have become so linked in women's minds and what we can do to start to break them up. Yeah. I mean, it really is toxic. It really is like an abusive relationship that you can't seem to, like, you know, it needs to end. You know, it's good for you to take care of yourself. You know that it's important and, and how you feel even after you take care of yourself. But it's something that tugs at you and stops you in your tracks and says, no, this isn't going to work. And so I think that comes from a lot of different places with the number one uh, reason being, um, you know, this kind of taking yourself on this reflection journey of how self-care was modeled as a child. Were your caregivers able to take care of themselves in a way that you saw? Like, did you see your mom or your dad or your caregivers take time away, do things that they enjoyed with glee? Or was it like this thing of like, I, I you know, I have to get away because you guys are, are <laughs> bugging me or getting yeah, on my yeah. nerves, right? Like, were they mad about taking care of themselves or did they really show you the result of investing in the care for yourself? What was their attitude or their demeanor around it, right? And then outside of the home, you think about how society talks about moms should be doing everything every second for their children or for their family. And so when you continuously see this depiction of motherhood, of wifehood, partnerhood, right, you are bombarded with these messages that you don't think are sinking in. But man, are they sinking in? And so over time, it develops this intertwine 
of guilt and shame. I shouldn't be ta- I shouldn't need this much time. I shouldn't be this exhausted from these kids that I prayed for or, or wanted, you know, my whole life. I should be enjoying them. It's wrong for me to want time away from them, you know, because they need me, you know? And so all of this, these messages come up to us and they stop us from doing something that's very necessary. And it's toxic because, you know, over time, if you are not in a place that you are well watered, you become very dry. And that shows up in your relationships with your children, your relationships with your partner, at your job, all of the different aspects, right, of you um, kind of showing up, it kind of depletes a little bit because you're not well watered, you're not well taken care of. And so it, it's toxic in, in just so many different ways. But I, like my greatest hope is that people will listen to podcasts like that or take away from any of my content is that it's so important for you to be in a position of, of learning to love yourself by taking care of yourself. And it doesn't have to be this luxurious thing that we often see. It could be very basic. It could be very minimal at the beginning until you get this groove and you find out, man, I actually like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually feel a lot better after I take a few m- moments to myself. I actually feel good and more confident and have more trust in myself when I'm able to do the things that have brought me so much joy now and even before I had children, right? So I think it's just so important that we just break those two apart, separate them so you don't belong together. Not anymore. (laughs) Yeah. And it's it so much of what is coming up in this episode for me is unlearning, you know? So if we were taught by our moms that the best mom is always there and she never misses anything and all of this stuff, like it's hard for us not to carry that on. And then when our society tells us that as well, and those messages do sink in, it is a real challenge. Like one thing I think about is what I'm teaching my children. So that's motivating for me. I'm like, Amy, I don't want to teach my three boys that a woman never can take a break or that she shouldn't take care of herself. I want them to grow up and take care of themselves. How are they going to learn that if I'm not demonstrating it? So it gets really complex. Our heart is with all of you that are having trouble kind of breaking it up mom guilt and self-care because it can be a journey. So I loved how in that answer, you gave us some examples of what mom guilt can sound like, because I think she's kind of sneaky. Like people don't always realize that they're guilting or shaming themselves. Are there any more examples that you could give to our listeners to give them some context of what mom guilt can sound like? Yeah. So it often feels like a very like leery (laughs) um, masked scream. So when I think about, sometimes I'll say like it whispers, but it really feels like a scream. Like a whisper is very gentle, but it really, mom guilt sounds like this very judgmental, critical scream. And how you can know, you know, that it is guilt is it doesn't make you feel good after you you know, are thinking about the things that guilt is trying to kind of plant inside of your, your thoughts and in your mind. And so, yeah, it would be like the shoulds, you should be doing this, or 
you're such a bad mom. All of the other moms don't need breaks like this, or, you know, this is what you asked for. I cannot tell you how many moms I've heard say those words. Like, this is what I prayed for. This is what I wanted my entire life. And now that I have it, I feel like such a bad person because I'm exhausted. And it's like, you are a human. You have, just like anyone else, the capabilities of being exhausted, like giving yourself permission to be a human and to experience things like frustration, um, to experience things like exhaustion, and to know that you're not wrong for feeling those things, that it just means that you're human. It just means that there's like an engine light going on and saying, hey, can you take a look at this? Can we rest a little bit? Can we check in with a friend that makes our heart pump a little faster? Like, can we can we do something that makes us feel alive for just a little bit? Because I'm running low on fuel right now. And so that's all of that's what those emotions are telling us. It's just to check in and do something about it versus, you know, send you into this shame spiral of I did something wrong. That means I'm a bad person. I'm never going to do anything right. I'm going to mess up my kids if I'm not with them every second of the day. I'm going to mess them up if they don't have all organic food. You know, nothing's wrong with those things. But when it when it stings more than it empowers you, that's how you know it's guilt. Mm. And I can hear in your voice and I know in my own head, the compassion and grace behind that whisper versus the scream that can sometimes feel so loud and just it, it hurts for for days on end. So that's a really good just comparison there as we start to hear and think about what it is sounding like in our own minds. And it takes practice, right? Like all of this will take practice. And one of my big mottos is progress over perfection. It's a motto. It's helped me in many areas of my life, especially as a perfectionist. Mentally, it's helped me a ton, but I adore how you talk about practice over progress. So can you dig a little deeper into this and maybe how we can start pulling it into our lives? Yeah. So I, I'm a fan of, of progress over perfection too, because it does, it helps us be like, I'm just, you know, I'm just moving along, right? It doesn't have to be perfect. It can be a little messy. That's fine. I'm just going to get it done. Um, and I was one day thinking about that. I, I was trying, I can't, it was something that I was doing for the first time. And I was like, ah, I'm not moving like I like I want to be moving. Yes, progress over perfection, but I don't even feel like I'm moving. Like I feel like I'm just staying still. I'm just doing the same thing. And it hit me like sometimes we just need to practice. We just need to stabilize on that one thing. And then we'll start to see that progress that leads to us like moving in action. Right. Sometimes we think we have to always be changing. We have to always be learning, doing something new, something more on trend. We have to always be fixing things around the house or making our kids this or that. And sometimes it's not about that at all. Sometimes it's just about showing up and doing the boring stuff, right? Like sometimes we won't always see this kind of evolution all of a sudden, or even those small changes that we hope to see. Sometimes we just need to practice, you know, show up to the gym, you go for the shot, it bounces back. That's okay. <laughs> I didn't get the progress that I was looking for in practice today, but I'm going to keep showing up. I'm going to keep practicing because in my practicing, I know that I will receive the progress that I'm looking for. And I think that that kind of mentality can show up in so many different ways in our lives. And it, it puts us in a position of, of empowerment, right? I'm not 
I'm not wrong. I'm not doing anything wrong if I'm not seeing the results that I'm hoping for. If I'm not seeing this magical change that people are talking about, um, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm still going to practice. I think, you know, when people are looking for like the end goal or even a lot of change at the beginning, I think that's why people lose hope, right? Like you see it in different forms of like picking up something new. We see it at the beginning of, of the year when people make resolutions and it's like, yeah, I'm going to stop this because it's not, it's not really working. I'm not really losing the weight or um, I'm not really able to set the boundaries that I wanted to with my family. All those IG messages or all those, you know, things I've listened to, they're not working. So it's not worth it. But what if we took a step back and said, I'm just in the practicing phase. If I keep practicing, I'll know I'll make progress one day. All of those words are going to be in my mind the next time that I get to one of those points. So thank you. Oh, that was so good. And we can, we can lose hope. And we can also sometimes hit that breaking point where we just, we feel so lost. And we're going to switch gears a little bit here. We hear all the time, I'm not comfortable leaving my baby with anyone, even my husband. So we would love to hear your take on how women can start to work through that before they reach a breaking point. It's something that Amy and I have both personally experienced, and it seems like a trap that first-time mamas definitely can fall into. Yeah. So I think that that is something that comes up a lot, right? I, how am I supposed to leave my new fresh baby with even people that I know and I love, but I don't necessarily trust that they will be okay without my presence. And I um, identify with that, just like you guys were saying, as kind of a new mom being like really protective, right? Of, of the baby in that sense. And what helped me in those days and what I tell my clients um, often is that, you know, nobody's really going to take care of our babies like we do. Like, it's just kind of a fact at this point. Nobody's really going to um, have that connection that we have with them because on a biological level, that's just how the relationship is, is meant. That's how it's built, right? And even if they don't take care of the baby the way that we would, it doesn't mean that the baby is not being cared for that they're not being taken care of, right? So husband or the dad or, you know, they might do things in a very different way <laughs> than you do. They might have their own special way of connecting and bonding uh, with a baby that, that doesn't really, it's not something that you would do, right? But asking yourself, is what they're doing, is it harmful, right? Is it harmful that they, um, don't hold the baby that you do? Is it harmful that they um, don't rock the baby the same way that you do? Um, if it's harmful, then you definitely might want to have a, a larger conversation about like why <laughs> you are concerned. But if it's not harmful, if it's just different, then, then challenge yourself with no, no one's going to quite care for my baby the way that I do. And that's okay, right? It's going to be different and that's okay. I can give them kind of a guideline of, of what I do. That's what that, you know, has been helpful um, when I'm taking care of them. You know, the list that we created, eight, you do this, eight, 15, this, then you put the, the clothes on, do five pats on the back, then lay them down. You know, all of that. You can give them that, you know, give them your, your uh, blueprint, if you will. And then kind of let up a little bit and say, this is the guideline. If it helps you like it helps me, I hope you can follow it, right? But I know that you'll keep the baby safe. I know that 
you love them, right? You might not love them in the way that I do, and that's okay because we're different, but I know that you'll keep them safe. I know that they'll be taken care of. And so sometimes that is more helpful than saying, you know, because <laughs> we will think the worst thing, right? They're going to be yeah. crying on in. They're going to miss me. They're not going to take the bottle. They're not going to go to sleep. Um, and sometimes, you know, it changes hard for little ones, but they are great at adjusting. And so sometimes we just kind of need to say, is this harmful or is it just different and kind of make our, our decisions from there? Yeah, I love that. I think one thing that was helpful for me with our second and third is that I just realized, you know what? I need to let my husband help soothe the baby. So I'm not always going to go grab him from Drew. I'm going to let Drew sort that out. And then I could kind of see it happen before my eyes. So then I felt more comfortable leaving because I had given Drew practice while I was there. When it was our first child, I would swoop in and grab Max out of his arms every time that it seemed like he was having trouble soothing him. So some of that like in-person practice is is really helpful to build confidence. And another thing I wanted to bring up is I've heard you talk about doing the opposite of what you've seen and how that can be really hard to overcome. We kind of touched on this earlier. So my mama stayed at home for a lot of my childhood, as did a lot of my friends' moms. And I'm a working mom. So I'm doing something that I didn't see modeled to me. And maybe that's one reason that I really struggled with it at first. Um, is there any advice that you could give for women that are in the same situation? Because I think at first it was just so hard because I hadn't seen it. Yeah, it, it'll make you feel like, you know, um, and especially if they if they did it well, right? <laughs> like, you know, your mom had the cute little snacks ready after you got off the school bus and she, you know, had all of these things going on and and you want aspects of, of what that is. And so you might feel like that's the only way that I'm going to be able to be a good mom or that my children will have that same experience. But there's different ways to skin a cat, right? There's different ways that you can show your, your kids that you love them and are devoted to their health and their growth and their lives, right? And um, when you realize that there's just, it's not a one-way road, that there's multiple roads that can lead to the same outcome, which is ultimately your kids feeling loved, right? And it's, it might look a little different as a working mom than it does a stay-at-home mom, um, but that's okay. It's like, I might not be able to pick you up early from school, or I might not be able to like send these handcrafted, whatever it is, or maybe I can. It just looks like adjusting my schedule in a different way. And knowing if we go back to that conversation of values, right? Maybe moms who are working from home and, and work from home, not that they have like polar opposite values, but the way that they are the way that they are expressing those values might be different, right? Like we all have the value to take care of our kids and make sure that they're loved and healthy, right? But maybe for a stay-at-home mom, it's like, I want to be in a position to where I can 
create, like do some homeschooling with them. And maybe for a working mom, it's like, I've spent a lot of time in my career and this is the way that I want to show my kids their confidence or how to do, you know, things that they're doing in their lives. It's the same goal, but it's two different ways of reaching that goal. And so it can be hard to go against um, what's been shown to you and kind of paving a new way and providing a new example. And, and that can be tough, but again, connecting to why you're doing it in the first place can help you with those feelings of, of feeling like, oh, I'm the odd ball out here. Like, <laughs> I'm not really seeing a lot of me in these parts. Um, but that, you know, that that's okay because your why is different. And remember, you're doing you. When that goes back to on all these episodes, we talk about how the comparison game can show up and how we just need to live our own life. Like you say it right at the beginning, you do you. Your life is not supposed to look like hers, whether it's your mom's or your sister's or your best friend's, because we do all have a different why. We have different values and we still all love our kids. You do a really good job of weaving this into your podcast and into your Instagram account. But as a licensed professional counselor and also a mama of two, can you talk about some of the things that you've struggled with when it comes to motherhood? Like it can be so easy for us to think that your training and your background, all those things means that you wouldn't struggle, but we love to give a behind the scenes look into the challenges that we all face. Oh yeah. So many. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and what would one would think, right? Like you have all this training and all that kind of stuff. And maybe that makes me exempt, but it doesn't, you know, I'm a human, uh, just like um, anyone else, it just uh, sometimes I'm able to kind of tap into that and like remember and call myself from the ladder a little quicker. But it doesn't mean that those things, you know, don't come up for me. Um, one of the earliest things um, was actually I got pregnant very soon after my husband and I got married. And so we knew that we wanted children. We knew that that's something that was a part of our our plans, but not that soon. You know, we wanted to honeymoon a little longer. And <laughs> I was pregnant a month after we got married. So it was like, yeah. And so parenthood begins. So that was very difficult for me because I knew that our lives were going to change very drastically. And so I had to like, almost like prep myself up for this. Like, okay, you were going to get this one day. It's not the timing that you would have hoped for, but listen, we're here. You know, what what are we going to do with this journey now that we're here? And so it took a lot of grieving the way that I thought the plans would pan out, it took a lot of acceptance. It took a lot of um, remembering also that life is moldable. Life is adjustable. Life is adaptable, right? It's not like, oh, you went down that path and that's it, right? <laughs> like there could be definitely um, ways to make this an enjoyable journey, and so that's probably one of the earliest things that I can remember. And then the second, <laughs> the second one that comes to my mind is when um, we were pregnant soon after the oldest, uh, she was four months and we were pregnant again. So it's like, here we go again. I mean, could you tell me <laughs> <laughs> this has got to be okay. All right. I, I see that this is just our lives and, you know, here we go. So again, it was like, here we are facing grief in a sense of like, we wanted to at least have just the three of us a part of this dynamic, but such is life. And um, life is adjustable. (laughs) Life is flexible. Life is expansive. And 
what is it going to do for me if I am able to take this experience and kind of make it my own versus, um, you know, trying to make it the center and kind of revolving around that. It's like, it's going to be an adjustment. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard, but I still have a choice in this. I still have a say in, in the way that my life kind of plans out. So, you know, and, and of course, the days of going through the pregnancies and, and the transitions were hard. And there were definitely some things that did not feel very good in those moments, like we talked about earlier, where it's like, um, you know, I'm not really making a lot of movement right now. I'm not really seeing the progress here. I'm not really seeing this like, at last, I'm a mother and I've conquered all things and my life is complete, right? It wasn't that grand finale. It was more like, I'm going to keep showing up during these hard days that completely exhaust me. I'm going to keep doing the things that I love and helping the people that I love to work with, even though sometimes it's hard to choose work, right? When I could be sitting down on the floor playing with my kiddos. And so being put in that position of like, I have a choice here, even if the choice is difficult and hard, I still have my choice. So, yeah. And when you were talking before too, and something I've been talking to my therapist about is the seasons of parenthood. So I know you named peace as one of your values and you have two toddler girls. It's like, that doesn't always line up, but like, how can we make it through the best we can And that value might not, you, you might not fully feel at peace during some of these parenthood seasons because boy, I'll tell you, toddler parenting is much louder than I ever knew. And it's much busier and we're kind of joking right now, but it does lead us right into the next question is that I'm sure you're hearing this from your clients. We're hearing this from our community, our listeners. People are burnt out right now. Like, you know, we're a year into a global pandemic and people are feeling so burnt out. I would love if you could give women some tactical tips on how to maybe just work through that feeling a little bit, because I know other people are just like, well, I'm just going to wait till I have my support back. And until then, this just sucks and I'm just overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, this is so funny. I was having a conversation just yesterday about like this grand wait that we're in. We'll just wait and see, right? We'll just wait until things, like you said, open back up. We'll just wait until school starts. We'll just wait, 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 wait. And after so long, when you don't have the relief that you've been waiting on, you can kind of develop this sense of uh, hopelessness. Things aren't going to change. We're just going to be here, right? And so how can we bring those things that we're waiting for in an adaptive way into our current lifestyle? And that lifestyle, unfortunately, looks like little to no support. And it looks like toddlers screaming do a, during a meeting. And it looks like just exhaustion from the emotional capacity that we're functioning out of right now. And so I think it's always helpful for us to, yes, remain hopeful for the future, but also live in the reality of the now. It's kind of this concept of radical acceptance. You know, life is what it is in this moment. And what am I going to do for this moment? 
And so when we're in this right burnout and overwhelmed for, for doing this for almost a year now, what I typically say is there are lots of things that we are used to doing that may not be a necessity. Things like cleaning everything up at the end of the day. Now, I, I, I love a good kitchen, kitchen. I love it cleaned. You know, I like to pick up my living room. I like to go to sleep with a clean house. It, it makes me feel good, right? But sometimes, especially if it's been a particularly exhausting day, that task, that habit goes down to the end of the list. Because I realize that while it is great and I love to have a clean kitchen or a clean living room before I go to bed, it's not a necessity. Like it doesn't impact my health. My kids are not going to be unsafe. Like it's not going to be a detriment to my day. Now, it does make me feel better when I do clean up, but it's like, do I have to do that right now? Could it be that I schedule some time in tomorrow when I have a little bit more energy to do it? Possibly, right? Because when we pile all of these nice to have, but not necessary to have things on our list, it creates this storm of overwhelm, right? Of all of these tasks like floating around in our heads that we feel like we just have to do this because I'm just so used to doing this. I'm so used to making these meals every night. I'm so used to having uh, these homemade snacks every day. I'm so used to having, you know, less screen time. I'm so used to having blah, 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 right? Um, And so we feel like that should be the same uh, blueprint that we should be functioning out of when we're in a time of crisis or when we're in a time of like everybody is just worn completely out. And so that's that's not true. The things that you do in, in a time period where things are different, it has to adapt. It has to change. Um, and if it doesn't change, you know, you can can lead to that burnout and overwhelm. So adjusting your your expectations for what is a nice to have and what is a must have in this season is so important. And the things that are a must have for you um, that maintains your your emotional capacity or maintains your your physical health, absolutely do those things, right? But even how you do those things might be adjusted. And so I'm thinking about the way that, you know, if if you eat certain meals, so, you know, say you cook everything from scratch, which is awesome, but maybe... (laughs) Maybe your meals aren't as complicated. Maybe you're just kind of stripping it down to the bare minimum, three ingredient type of meals that you know are quick and you can go to versus like, I have to make a five course meal tonight. I have to do it because that's what my family expects of me. And that's my tradition, right? Or that's just something that I've been doing. Yes, it might be, but is it necessary in this moment? And giving yourself permission to switch it up a little bit without the shame or the guilt that you are changing who you are and just see it as an adaptation to your environment. Adapting. Yep. That's going to be like ringing true in my mind. Oh, and being able to see the difference too, between the 
nice to haves and the must haves. Like it can be hard because it can feel like everything needs to be done, needs to be done exactly as it always has been, but it it doesn't. Like it quite frankly doesn't. Um, Colin and I always we say that we have this like safe room where even if the kitchen is dirty and the living room is dirty and toys are everywhere, we just retreat to the one room in our house that kids never play in, and it can feel good. Like that can feel fine. <laughs> Love the rest that. of the house is totally chaos. I love that. So let's end on something that I know many women in our community are feeling, and I personally have been struggling with for a really long time now, and that's anxiety. So you have some really helpful analogies around anxiety and what its core function is. So I'd love if you'd share those and really how it's there to protect us, but also how can we become the person that we are meant to be, even if anxiety is still part of our life? Yes, our friend Anxiety. Isn't she lovely? Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) She becomes very familiar, especially in the year that we are in or just came from, right? So um, anxiety is a very natural um, emotion that signals to us either something up ahead is unsafe, something that we're currently in is unsafe, or somewhere that we just came from is unsafe. And so anxiety's job is to try to protect us. It gives us the adrenaline that we need to go into different survival modes. The issue though, sometimes with anxiety is she kind of gets it off sometimes. She she doesn't kind of read the room well um, if we're not in the place of, of being able to recognize that, right? So I kind of explain anxiety as like a coat and you know, a coat in the winter is supposed to keep you warm and protect you from the brisk winds, <laughs> the Texas brisk winds. And um, if you are wearing this heavy duty coat in the winter, it's great because it helps you. But if you are wearing the same winter coat in the spring, it's too heavy. It becomes a weight instead of something that's protective, right? It becomes something that feels like you're suffocating under, whether it's something that's actually serving you well. And so how we can kind of manage it and keep it from being suffocating or keep it from being this overwhelming feeling is listening to the signals and really kind of digging into anxiety. Why are you here? Like literally, you can give her a name, (laughs) you know, Patty, why are you here? What is it that you're trying to tell me? Oh, you think that I might get COVID. I hear this so many times, right? Anxiety, Patty, you think I'm going to get COVID And, and I hear you because we are watching the news and we are listening to stories of so many other people who have been affected by this. And you are trying to protect me. You don't want me to get that. You don't want my family to be affected by that. Thank you so much for reminding me to keep safe. Thank you so much for reminding me to wash my hands. Thank you so much for reminding me to follow all of the precautions, right? Instead of, oh my gosh, Patty told me I'm going to get COVID. I'm going to get COVID. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. This person can't do that. Oh my gosh. And you you go into all of the what ifs and right. You start believing Patty, aka anxiety to be true versus just a warning or a signal. Hey, pay attention to this, adjust to this, right? So just because anxiety is showing up, it doesn't mean that it's true. It could be just a, a heads up, 
or something that I want you to call attention to or just be thoughtful about this. But sometimes we think those thoughts are like facts and, and whatever Patty says, we should follow, right? But that's not necessarily true. And I think, especially if anxiety has been hanging around for quite some time, it might feel that that's just who you are, that you're just anxious, that you, you will always be this anxious person that's always making decisions based on what our friend Patty is telling you, right? And so you probably miss out on some things in your life because of the anxiety, or you probably, you know, do these repetitive things because Patty is telling you that something as bad is going to happen. And so when you're able to kind of detach who you are from that feeling of anxiety, you feel more empowered to look at it as a warning sign. You look, you feel more empowered to say, I don't have to believe that this is the absolute end all be all. I'm going to listen to the way that my body feels when I think about this thought, right? Do I feel this pit in my stomach? Do I have these headaches that keep showing up? When I go to lay down at night, you know, are my thoughts zooming past me so fast that I can't fall asleep as easily as I used to, right? So like looking at all of that and saying, okay, we need to have a conversation. Why are you here? And acknowledging that you might be sad, you might be frustrated, you might be scared, but also looking at, you know, this isn't the end all be all of that thought. There are other alternatives here. There are other choices that could come from this scenario. And so I think that's way more helpful to use anxiety as a cope when it's necessary as a warning versus um, this thing that's suffocating and attached to our identity and, and, you know, who we are. And, you know, I created a course just for this because I'm like, this is a, this is a big thing um, to have anxiety feel like it's attached to who we are and in our identity. So I think that's kind of where we start. I appreciated that answer so much because naming the feeling and being able to kind of work through it, um, I think anxiety has been normalized to a degree, which like, of course, yeah, you know, it's been an anxious year, but how can we um, make sure that we're sometimes putting a lighter coat on, I think is really, really important. Uh, it's been an absolute honor to have you on the podcast I've learned so much from you. I would love it if you would tell everyone exactly where they can find more of you because I have loved all of the knowledge and the light that you bring to my Instagram feed and my podcast library. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. You guys can find me pretty much anywhere if you just type in momfully you. So over on Instagram, momfully.you. Um, I just started a YouTube channel recently, and um, it's pretty much the video version of my audio podcast, which again, you can type in momfully you, and you can find me there. I would love to have you guys be a part of the community and um, chat with, you know, about the things that you're learning and we're discussing. Thank you so much again, Chastity. Thank you. Thank you. And we're committed to supporting women and more women with this podcast and episodes just like this one. So if you are listening right now, you can actually help. So have you taken the two minutes to write a review on whatever app that you're using each week? If you haven't yet, we would love if you could make a little space today to do exactly that. So thank you again.